You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. The first uh, 12 chapters of the book of Acts really focused on, um, on Peter and the Jewish uh, community that he reached primarily in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then we got to chapter 13 through the end here. Uh, the focus is really going to be on Paul and his ministering to Gentiles and planting and establishing churches in the more Gentile, non-Jewish uh, communities. Um, that's not to say he doesn't reach out to uh, Jews. He does, but his primary focus will be on the, and has been on the, uh, the, the Gentiles. Uh, we noted last week in chapter 20, he's on his third missionary journey, uh, covering over 2,500 miles, I believe it was, uh, about a four-and-a-half-year uh, period, um, visiting about 21 different cities. And, um, and uh, in chapter 20, um, we saw Paul come into the area of Troas in verses 7 through 12. We're going to pick up in verse 13, but the early part, last week we uh, saw Paul speaking there in a, in a church service. It's the first look in the book of Acts at the, the church, how they gathered. We gleaned some things um, from that, that they met on the first day of the week and that they, well, people gathered. That was really important. Um, but they gathered on the first day of the week. Um, there was Bible teaching. There was communion. There was prayer. Um, there were miracles. Um, there were sleepy saints. That's part of the church. We talked about that on um, last Sunday as well, especially this young man, this man by the name of Eutychus. Um, but now Paul is going to move on. And we pick up in verse 13 where it says, then we, Luke here, uh, writing this, part of the team that traveled with Paul, we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. There intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And um, when he met us at Assos, uh, we took him on board and we came to uh, Mighty Lean. We sailed from there the next day and we came uh, opposite of uh, Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at uh, Trogilium. And the next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that um, he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was in a hurry, it says here, to get to Jerusalem, if possible, um, to commemorate the Feast of, of Pentecost. So, um, Talk about being on the go. If you were with Paul, um, you probably needed to be in shape. <laughs> he, was a, he was a man with a mission. He was a man uh, on the move. And his, his goal was, to, uh, he's coming back now um, after four years being gone, uh, leaving Antioch uh, up in Syria. But then the goal now is, I want to get back to Jerusalem and primarily to do a couple of things. One, to, to enjoy the Feast of Pentecost. And... Um, and also, remember, he had been gathering up offerings from the Gentile churches along the way as he's coming home. And uh, they were in need. There was a famine. And he had heard about that need. And he had sent word out uh, to the churches to, to receive money for the needy in Jerusalem. And Paul would be traveling with a, a group of friends that uh, had received those gifts and were traveling with him. Uh, to go back to Jerusalem as well, partly, of course, to uh, bless the church 
um, there. So, whatever reasons at the beginning of this trip, Paul chooses to walk from Troas to Assos here, which is about 25 miles. And, um, you know, I, I think if, if you travel with Paul, there were probably those days where you just woke up and went, and I just feel the Lord, you know, he's just putting this on my heart. And we talked last week about um, Paul was a, a very flexible person. He was very, very much able to adapt. Uh, if the Lord redirected him, he didn't, uh, he didn't mind that. He was available uh, to that. Um, I had a quote in one of my early notes that said, We cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. And I think that's something important for all of us to think. As we're, uh, how many of you Christians had to adjust the sails every now and then? The Lord's, the Lord's blowing, man. He's moving, but we've got to... We, we've got to move with him. That's the important thing. I've been really, really encouraging our staff and uh, our leaders as we're meeting and even on our Wednesday night um, that, that we are in some very interesting times and, and, and we just want to be tethered to the Holy Spirit. We, we're, we're tethered to something. But we, where are our moorings? Those are the questions we've been asking people on Wednesday night. Where are our moorings? We want to be tethered to the Holy Spirit. Where is God moving now? Um, because we want to be close to him and, and, and be available and, and, and be able to adapt, whatever that would um, entail, whatever sacrifice, whatever changes, whatever adjustments in our life. Paul is a great example of, um, of someone that did that. Um, so the team that was with, with Paul, um, they were mentioned um, you know, earlier uh, one was a man by the name of Sopatar from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Tychicus, and uh, Tramphimus from Asia, then Titus and Luke. These are all the guys that were with Paul, and he's like, hey guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this next 25 miles. You guys take the boat, I'll hook up with you, you there. But Paul and, and his team would, would eventually get on a ship. Uh, we probably wouldn't understand what that would look like. We, any, any ships we get on were probably for, for leisure or fishing. Uh, I think of cruises. I've been on a couple of cruises. This wasn't a cruise. These were merchant ships. And whenever you got on board a merchant ship as a, uh, a Roman citizen, uh, you were subject to every one of their stops. And that's why you see so many of these different stops. Uh, they would stop and they would offload their goods. They would pick up new goods. That's what they were. They were merchant ships. Um, uh, they, would, they would, you know, the freighter stopped in Miletus, it says here, which was very close to Ephesus. And remember, Paul has just left Ephesus. He's been there for quite a while. He's been ministering there, building a church, establishing a church, doing a lot of evangelism. Um, but uh, they're going to they're gonna be close to Ephesus about 25 miles away here in this port of Miletus. And, um, you know, Paul was not the kind of guy that would waste any time. He would look at anything like that as an opportunity. And so Paul obviously had some things in his heart that he wanted to say to the leaders uh, of the church there in Ephesus. Um, it was a very dark city, remember? We didn't want to spend too much time on that, but it was a very pagan city. Um, the worship of Diana, all of that. Remember that whole, just the whole crazy mob mentality that took over that whole entire city when um, the silversmiths 
made it known that their trade that, of course, they made, you know, idols of Diana. They made temples of Diana and everybody bought that. The silver smiths did. And they were, they were in danger of losing their trade and their livelihood because of all of the conversion, because of how many lives are being transformed in Ephesus by this man, Paul, the apostle, and his message. So uh, remember, they got pretty upset. They filled a, a massive outside amphitheater chanting, you know, great is the, the goddess uh, Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians over and over and over. And, and Paul was like, I, there's a captive audience. I'd like to go and, and speak to them. But, but this is where he was. You know, we kind of fly through chapter 19 into 20 and we forget um, that Paul spent a lot of time there and he, he really poured into the people there and, 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 and saw people saved and, and mentored and discipled people um, as well. So he had this message in his heart and he was like, I, I just want to go see these guys. And as we will go through this chapter, we'll realize that he knew he would never see them again. So this is, this is as some scholars say, one of those classic farewell messages in... Um, in scripture, the likes of like Jacob talking to his sons or Moses talking to Joshua or Jonathan even talking to, to David. And, you know, when you, 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 you really grow in a relationship with people, um, saying goodbye is tough, man. It really is. And in the early years, I remember we, we did a lot of ministry over in, in, in Japan and we were going there quite a bit, sometimes three times a year. And a lot of them were coming over here, the ones that were getting saved and staying with us, big groups on both sides, and, and, and we really got to know them, and uh, we, we realized when we would leave, after probably about two years of this, they would, some of them couldn't go with us to the airport, but a bunch of them wanted to go with us to the airport, and the ones that went, you know, up to the bus that we were getting on, they would stand there. And they, would, they, would, they wouldn't leave. They all had work to do. And when they take the day off, they would just stand there. And I'm talking dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And they would sit there, listen, and they would weep. And we're like, this is, would you just get the bus going? This is killing us. They'd come back in the bus. Oh, Lanson. You know, I didn't know if they were so happy finally. They're leaving or what. You know, but it was like, it was, it was a difficult time. We loved them. And, and oftentimes in, in Africa and Chiapas, different places, we would, we would see these, these farewell kind of meetings. And every time I read this account of Paul saying goodbye to these pastors that he knew and loved and poured his life into in the city of Ephesus, um, it's, really, it's really moving. I, I'm riveted to this chapter when I go through it. There's so much um, to uh, learn. But... Um, the meeting that he has with them as well, it, it provides us with some of the richest text dealing with ministry. What, what was it like? What, what, what was God doing? When we define ministry today, how do we define that? Do we define that based on a movement? Do we define that based on a, a class in college, on, on seminary? Do we base that based on, on what men have taught us? And, and I think you know that we've tried over the years to, to, to be ministry, be ministers and do ministry that is modeled first and foremost by Jesus and then by those that we see throughout the book of Acts and the epistles, of course, um, because these things are written there for our learning. They are examples of what to do and what 
not to do. And so Paul, in this particular um, discussion with these Ephesian elders, these pastors, he's like a father to them. And he is, he is pouring the, his heart into them. And, 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 and as such, he's, he's talking about like the three years he was with them. It wasn't just this week-long kind of thing. I've been with you guys for three years, and he's going to case in point and walk through. Um, he's going to walk through the past with them, who he was with them, what he did with them, what ministry was in the past, what God blessed. He's going to address presently some things on his heart, and then he's going to talk about some, some future things as well. But um, Paul was one of those guys as we go through this, and I just want you to for you note-takers. He was one of those guys that entrusted others with ministry. As we go through this conversation, I, want, I, I just want you to think about this. I don't want to get into the whole thing on what is delegation and what is not delegation, but I just want you to know he was so captivated by what God had done, what Jesus had done in his life, and who Jesus was, not just to him as his Savior, but what Jesus began to be and continue to be as his Lord, as his master, as Jesus began to use him. And, and, and because he was so captivated by, we're going to use this topic, by grace. That he just wanted others to experience that. He wanted others to experience the fullness of that relationship that Jesus has designed and desires for each and every Every one of us. And, 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 and good leaders, listen, I'm going to say this. Godly leaders are stewards. They understand what they have has just been entrusted to them by God. You guys, this church, this ministry, this has been, this is God's work. And he has entrusted it to myself and other men and, <laughs> excuse me, and women over the years. And we are to be to be stewards. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when, when Paul talks about this whole idea of what ministry is, he's like, let, let people consider us as servants of, of God, number one. And then, and then also that we would be stewards. And he would say, it's moreover, it's really, really important that a steward be found faithful. And one of the ways that we are perceived as being faithful in God's eyes is to hold ministry as he has given us ministry and to treat it as how he sees it and how he desires it to be used. And ministry is, it's, it's God working through human vessels to the benefit of others. And one of the greatest things we can do as ministers would be to equip others to, well, help others encounter Jesus Christ, and then help others walk with Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what ministry is. Helping them understand what their identity is in Christ. Helping them understand what their place is in the body of Christ. Helping them understand how they've been gifted by Christ. Understand how they can use those gifts. How they can function within the body of Christ. And as we go through this, this just heart-to-heart -heart that Paul the Apostle has with these pastors, this is, what, this is what stands out. And so he's going to look at the, he's going to look at the past with them first. So picture him. They've, 
however many of these guys there are, we don't know, but they, this group of guys come and they meet Paul in the port city of, of Miletus and they, they roll up to a Starbucks and there's Paul, you know, however you want to see it. And then it says, and when they had come to him, he says, guys, you know from the first day, and he takes them back, from the first day that I even came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. And what does it say? He's not going to say something that's not true to, to guys that have lived very closely to Paul and with Paul for three, three plus years. When I came to you guys, you know that I was, I was serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And notice in verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house as well, testifying to the Jews and also to the non-Jews, the Greeks. What was his message? Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to bring out maybe four principles this morning. We'll have time for. But principle number one, if you're a note taker, again, we can't miss it here. Paul, his approach to ministry was based on this amazing, unshakable commitment to God and a commitment to God's people. You can't miss it. As he begins to pour out his heart to this group, he, he, he reminds them, again, of, 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 of who he was when he first showed up. Why does he, he reference that? Because he hasn't changed. You guys know that, that you know who I am right now, but you know who I was when I first showed up. You, re, you, you observe me as a man. You observe me as a minister during my three years with you in the city of Ephesus. Now again, by reminding them of his character and, and his conduct, he was, he was establishing something. He was establishing, that's the goal here, I believe, a model and a pattern for who they should be to the, to the community of believers and to the community of non-believers there in Ephesus. Guys, this is important. You, you, he could say, look at how God has blessed the work there. Look at what he's, what he's doing. Look at what he's done from, from what Ephesus was to what it is right now. Look at the faithfulness of God. Well, let's go back to some of those tenets. Let's go back to some of those principles that God honored. And, and I want you to know, this is who I've been. I was, in that sense, God honoring. God, I, I, was, I was going about this in a way that God could honor. And he's doing this. He's saying this so that they would follow that example. Paul would say the same or similar thing to the Thessalonians when he would write to them that first letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He would say, and I just want to run through this. You guys know that when we came to you, our coming was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, beaten and all that. But as you guys know, we were bold in our God to speak the gospel to you in much conflict. Our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was there any deceit. 
we've been approved by God. We've been entrusted with the gospel. And so even we continue to speak to you, the gospel, not as pleasing men, but, but God. Our focus was on God because he's the one who really sees our heart. And neither at any time did we use any kind of flattering words or a cloak for covetousness. God, God knows. We didn't seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have even come in as like, hey, we're the apostles of Christ and made certain demands. We didn't do that. But we were gentle among you, just like a nursing mother cherishes her own child. Notice verse 8, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. Why? Because we loved you. Because you, you've come de- you become dear to us. And even as we went about this, he goes on to say, we didn't go about it in a way where we would be, you know, a burden uh, to, to any of you. And, and he talks about just being responsible to them as a father would be to, you know, his own children. And now here, you guys know, you Ephesian elders, the whole time I was with you, I, I served the Lord in great humility with, with tears, even though I was really under a lot of opposition from the Jews. Paul, he viewed ministry primarily as serving the Lord. And he uses that term to describe his, his relationship to the Lord and his relationship to others over and over in Scripture. In Acts 27, we'll get there eventually, but Paul's in the midst of a storm there in Acts chapter 27 on a boat, and, um, and, and, and there he testified that devotion to his Lord, you know, by just like he was telling people about the Lord. And then he said, this very night, an angel of the Lord God came to me of whom I belong, and of whom I serve. That's just how he saw his life. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he would say, um, I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Because they were, he was being accused of that, of seeking favor of men. He goes, but, but if I were trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. Over and over and over he goes, that's just who I am. And every Christian, we need to get this right. As we follow the Lord, we're following him, not man. As we serve the Lord, we're serving him, not not man. 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3 verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and a Christian leader who really understands grace, the unmerited favor of God, they're going to lead you in such a way where they are constantly turning you away from them. It's not that they are, aren't an example. It's not that they aren't a model. But the, the primary focus is going to be on Jesus. They're going to be pointing you to him. 
He's the one who saved you. He's the one that empowers you. He's the one that gifts you. He's the one that opens the door for you. He's the one in whom you serve. And a, 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 a mature leader, someone who understands the Lord, and understands his word, and understands ministry, they're going to want that. They're going to want to see you blossom in your relationship with the Lord. So they're going to point you to him a lot. They're going to want you to be running around saying, I'm a bond slave of Christ. I am, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. The word serving here, or the Greek word doulos, means, you know, it, 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 it speaks of just like a slave, a bond slave of Christ. Paul uses it 17 times um, in Scripture. But, but the two attitudes that should mark a servant here in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, you know, despite all of Paul's accomplishments and, 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 and successes, he was a very, very humble man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul described himself as the least of the apostles. Not even fit to be called an apostle of Christ because I, I was out persecuting the church. I, 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 he just never really gave himself, he, he, always, he always remembered what he was. Ephesians 3.80 referred to himself as the very least of all of the saints. And then in 1 Timothy 1.15, he called himself the chiefest of, of sinners. 2 Corinthians 3.5, he wrote, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Suffering. Serving the Lord with humility, but also many tears. Jesus is the first and foremost example of the one that, that suffered willingly and, 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 and is the model. First Peter 2.21, Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. 2 Timothy 3.12, just as Christ suffered, so also all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 there. But Paul, when, when, when he, he said this, it was something that he, of course, knew. Jesus clearly modeled this. But before he entered into ministry, it would have been just something that was maybe, you know, something he had heard about, something he had observed. But now he's talking from his heart to these guys. He's talking from experience. He's talking about humility. He's talking about tears. He's talking about suffering from a place of experience. What was so heavy on Paul's heart? What are things that teared this guy up? In Romans chapter 9, he would say in verse 2 and 3, I have great sorrow and increasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What was he saying there? When I, when I, when I really think of anguish of soul, <laughs> what makes me tear up and just well up, is when I think about the, 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 the Jewish nation that doesn't know Jesus, that isn't saved. He grieved over the lost, 
or the, the state of the lost in the nation of Israel. He, he also had a hard time when it came to Christians, that, that, that sin in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Um, you know, he would write, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. And when you read through that letter, it's a strong exhortation because they were struggling in their walks. And they were giving in to sin. And then, thinking about false teachers as well. And in, um, Paul will, will talk about, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, for, for many walk of whom I've also told you and now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of, of Christ. And so, just internally, there were many things going on in, in Paul's heart. A burden for the lost, a burden for those that are being affected by sin. Um, just, it, it just, and, and just looking at false teachers and the effect of their false teaching on people as well, looking at them as lost, it, he wept about this. Paul also had a lot of external trials. You can read through those in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the beaten with rods and, and the sleepless nights and the shipwrecks and all of that. But, you know, you remember when Paul was being commissioned by the Lord back in Acts chapter 9, he sent Ananias to Paul to tell him about what he would be doing with Paul. And one of, that, one of those things is he goes, he goes, I will show him how much he must Suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And so, this, this first principle again, just, just this unshakable commitment to God and God's people. Secondly, we see here just this <clears throat> another principle commitment to, to, to sharing God's word. Verse 20 I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you public, publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We all know that you, you can't share what you don't know. But when you're taking in God's word, you, you, you can't help share what you do know. It just It's alive and you just... It, he wants to get that out of us. And, and when we begin to experience the, the victory and the freedom and the cleansing and the, the power and the, the direction and the hope, and I can go down the list of just being in God's word, we want to share that with others. Paul had a great burden to teach God's word, but he also saw the benefits that teaching God's word brought to the body. In Ephesians chapter 4, he would talk about what God gave to the church, evangelists and, 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 and prophets, evangelists and, and, and pastor teachers. And the primary task there was for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, which, which really necessitates the, the explaining and the teaching and the preaching of God's Word. He said here, this is important, I gave all that I had to you. I've listened to four of my friends that were older, just guys I watched and followed and some of my knew, and I listened to their final message to their churches. 
I thought it was really cool. Just so you know, I'm not there, and I'm not building a message out of their messages, okay? But one of the things they all said in common was, I've given you everything I know. I've given you everything that God has given me. And they just got to a point where either their, their minds, their bodies, or, or whatever, was like, God, God's done now. And, and Paul was still very active for the Lord, still wanting to go, and, and God would continue to use him, and we'll watch him move forward um, from this particular meeting, and God will continue to use him. But when, when, when he could sit down in front of a place and say, while I was here for these three years, everything I had, I poured into you. And I'll tell you, when, when your, 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 your kids grow a little bit older and, and they come to you and, and say, such and such, I've fallen in love with them. And then that man comes and wants their hand in marriage and you begin to watch them leave your house. You really begin to think about, man, did I pour everything into my kid? When life just brings those necessary separations, if you will, among family and even among the body of Christ, it's, it's sobering to think through. Man, did I... Did I Use all of my time and my talent, my treasure to pour into these people in the season that God gave me with these people. Well, Paul was like, yeah, I did that. I did it in open squares. I did it in, in, in your homes. I uh, went house to house. And then the, the major focus of his messages, verse 21, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul did not preach against sin as much as he preached repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he would say, It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. He was like consumed with presenting the goodness of God that is found in the gospel message. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he goes, Woe is me, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You ever have those missed opportunities and for like a week you just, the, the, the hound of heaven is on you? Raise your hand if that happens. Okay, that happened to me twice last week. I got into this busy mode and, and there was one particular time where there was, I was out riding my bike and there was a guy and the Lord's like, stop and talk to that guy. You know, just, just, but I was in a big old hurry and I was flying, I was going downhill by the way and by the get to the bottom, that's a lot of work to get back up. Had all these excuses, my water bottle was half full, all the excuses and, and the Lord was just on me. He was just on me, on me, on me. I rode past that guy yesterday. I was flying, I had 45 minutes to ride and he was at 38 and a half minutes. And I was flying by him, and I'm like, hey! And I rode past him, and I got down to the bottom of the hill twice. You ever have that happen? Now, I know, I'm not a, some legalist guy towards myself. I know that God can use a lot of different means to reach that guy. And as I'm part of it, I'm just praying for that guy. And I'm like, Lord, keep me alive till the next time I cross paths. I am going to stop. You ever get there? Am I the only one? Am I just way out on a limb today, you know, like by yourself? Yeah, Lance, I hope you enjoy it, you know, just anyone else. Yeah. How many times you're in a hurry, a drive through window, the waiter, the waiter, the waiter. You follow me. We, Paul was like, 
He was faithful. And there are times we're not. And I think it's great that the Lord convicts us. And we need to listen. And I need to listen a, a, a lot more. But repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance just, when you begin to talk about repentance and the goodness of God and, and, and how you need to turn from whatever you're doing as far as you're walking away from the Lord, turn from that and turn, turn to Jesus. It demands a response. Sound, a sound presentation of the gospel should stress the importance of placing your faith in the one that saves. Sinners must not only turn away from sin, but they must turn toward the one that provides forgiveness and salvation in his name is Jesus, the one that, if they'll believe in him, it will result in a changed life. Amen? So the truth that salvation is holy by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ permeates through Scripture. Remember Peter back in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by or through me, by putting faith in me. So to believe in Jesus, or the Lord Jesus here, is to believe in who he claimed to be. In John 20, 31, these things were written about Jesus, that we might believe that he is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, that he is the Son of God, that he is deity, and that believing in that, in him, we would have life in his name. And that's spiritual life and eternal life that he is referring to. And then secondly, it's not just believing who he claimed to believe, be. We've got to believe in, in, in what he did. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, for I delivered to you first, uh, first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he raised again on the third day according to scriptures. Remember in Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, what he did, we shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and with, you know, and righteousness and with the mouth confession is made resulting in salvation. So, Paul, we look at these principles, an unshakable commitment to God and God's people, um, absolutely committed to sharing God's word, whether in the open, you know, settings, whether he's on a mountain bike going down a hill or he's in their homes or in a setting just um, like this. And then number three, his calling seemed to transcend himself or, or concern of himself. Read with me, if you will, in verse 22. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. When he starts off this phrase here, now, see now, I go bound. He shifts the emphasis from the past, who he was when he first came, to presently what is going on in his life, what he's feeling, what he's about to do next, and see now I go bound in the spirit of Jerusalem, 
not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. A commitment to Christ that superseded self-interest had been the pattern of Paul the Apostle's life ever since he was converted on the road to Damascus. Paul felt he had to go, even though he, he knew that there were things that were going to be troublesome, things that might happen that would even quite possibly cost him his life. A lesser man would have found some way to escape, but not, but not Paul the Apostle. He was too gripped by his, his Savior. He was too gripped by the calling that Jesus had on his life. He was too gripped by devotion to Jesus to look for some safe and some easy way out. That's why when we, we look at him in Ephesus, we're like, it was never easy those three years. A, a, a lesser Christian would have packed up and moved out of California with the first, you know, I mean, out of Ephesus with the first <laughs> wave of opposition. It's fair. Is it fair game? Yes. Thank you. All right. But not Paul. But not Paul. I go bound in the spirit. That Greek word deo means to be physically bound to something, like chained to something. Oswald Sanders, in my utmost, for his highest, has a quote, and I'd like to read it. He says, and I quote, it's easier to serve or work for God without a vision and without a call, because then you are not bothered by what he requires. Common sense, covered with a layer of Christian emotion, becomes your guide. You may be more prosperous and successful from the world's perspective and will have more leisure time if you never acknowledge the call of God. But once you receive a commission from Jesus Christ, the memory of what God asks of you will always be there to prod you on to do his will. You will no longer be able to work for him on the basis of common sense. End quote. So none of these things move me. None of these things move Paul because Paul had examined his assets and his liabilities and he decided to put Jesus Christ ahead of all of that. So I don't count my life dear to myself. I think what happens with a lot of Southern California Christians, we, we examine our assets and we're like, I need more of that. We examine our liabilities and we go, I need less of that. 
And then we decide to put the assets and the, whatever we've got to do to preserve those assets, to grow those assets ahead of everything else. And then we, we fit whatever we desire, whatever we feel we have time to do or feel we want to do for the Lord, kind of fit that into our life. Not with Paul. He examined his assets and liabilities. He's like, nah, it's Christ and him alone. But he also had this never give up attitude. He saw himself as a runner who was prepared and determined to finish his race with joy. In, first, in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he talked about forgetting those things which are behind. He just, that's just where he was, and he was reaching for those things which are ahead. And then he talked about the press. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So my life, my race, my ministry, you know, Paul looked at his life as a gift from God. And, and that allowed, you know, Paul to see God having a very special plan and course for his life, a plan that would be fulfilled in, in ministry. A ministry that he says, I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's a, good, he's a steward of that. So he saw himself as that servant, as that steward, but he was also a witness in verse 24, testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was, he was a proclaimer. But he had a message. Verse 25, and indeed, now I, I know that all you among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my, my face no more. And so a preacher is a, a proclaimer, the one that, that, would, that would herald. He would, a, 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 a forerunner for a king would go into a city before the king got there and he would herald, he would proclaim, open the scroll and you know, hear ye, hear ye. And all of the village would come out and he'd talk about the king and who he was and what he was going to be doing and his plans for the kingdom and his plans for them and whatnot. And the people then would have to get the village, you know, in, in tip-top shape. They'd straighten out the roads, clean up their houses. and all. The king is coming. They'd get their act together. The king is coming. And that was Paul. He was a, a forerunner of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he, and he, and he, he talked about the, the, the king and the kingdom a lot. He, he knew Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And, and we, we've talked many times about the kingdom of God. And, and, and it's a spiritual kingdom. When Jesus came and talked about the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. When John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They weren't talking about a literal kingdom. They were talking about a spiritual kingdom. And, and that, that kingdom, we are grafted into the moment that we ask the king to come into our life as our Lord and Savior. Um, and the, 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 where is the kingdom? Wherever the king rules. And if Jesus is on the throne of my life, I'm in the kingdom. The king is in me. And so this was, this was a message. His message was twofold. He talked a lot about the grace of God. And he talked a lot about the kingdom of God.
And then the last principle, and then I want to I'll land the plane here, um, was really this in verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of, of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And so Paul had this amazing commitment to God and his people, commitment to sharing God's word. His, his calling just seemed to transcend concern for himself. And then lastly here, he just did ministry. He went about serving the Lord in such a way where it just, it produced a sense of well-being and a clear conscience. And that is absolutely important. You're not going to have that if you're not faithful. You're not going to have that if you're not who God has called you to be and if you're not doing what God has called you to do. This message of salvation by grace. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Galatians. And largely, that book is written with the topic of grace in mind. And Paul the Apostle's inspired to write it. And as he, he begins to, to pin down all of those words, a couple of things stand out. Um, one is that he needs, to, he needs to defend the gospel message that he brought wherever he went. He just told the Ephesian elders, you know what I taught you. There in modern-day Turkey, there were these individuals by the name of Judaizers that followed Paul into the churches that he planted, and they tried to pervert the gospel. They tried to come in and, and turn people away from Paul and turn people away from Paul's message. And their, their whole trip was the law. They tried to mix in, look, we understand that, that Paul believed in Jesus and tells you to believe in Jesus. We believe that as well. We believe he's God. We believe that he's the Messiah. We believe that you've got to put faith in him and that salvation is part of his doing. But then they would add to that message and say, if you really want your salvation to be complete, they would list off all these rules and regulations. You've got to be circumcised if you're not. You've got to keep these dietary regulations. And so all of a sudden... You're looking at the topic of salvation that Paul had settled with the church leaders in chapter 15 of the book of Acts years earlier that salvation was God's doing. It was the result of grace that, that Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised. Nobody needs to do any kind of work in order to be saved because salvation is a free gift from God. And, and it was all like, go and tell the Roman Empire that. And Paul says in the, in, the, in the book of Galatians, I've been doing that. I've been doing that. But then he would say to this church in verse 6 of chapter 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon, listen, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there's some who trouble you 
and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. You say, Lance, why, 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 are, you, why are you bringing this up? Because it's important. Because a majority of our Sunday morning crowd isn't here on Wednesday nights. And I believe that there are some things we're learning right now that everybody in our church needs to understand. There were opposing forces in Paul's day and there are opposing forces in our day. If you boil down what it was that they were opposing and, and, if, and if anybody drank their Kool-Aid and followed the Judaizers who opposed Paul, his message, and the man, they were opposing God. I marvel that you are turning away from him, capital H. The gospel of grace is the good news of Jesus. What God has done through his son. God taking on flesh. That's the good news, right? That's good news. That he took on flesh in order to die on a cross. That's the good news. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Amen? Good news. That's the gospel. The gospel of grace is just that. And so in Paul's day, it really bummed him out and tripped him out because he's like, hey, listen, these guys are coming and they're just subtly perverting the truth. And you're subtly drinking it. You're subtly drinking the narrative of these people. It's a different religion. They're saying it's, it's the same gospel. It's not. He goes, it's not. It's not good news. Anything that turns you away from Jesus is not good news. Don't, don't listen to it. Don't buy it. Don't buy into it. Don't put your faith in it, right? Well, today we have our opponents. There are maybe movements that you wouldn't necessarily identify as an opposing religious movement, but in all actuality, they have their, their philosophy, they have their ideology. And they have a worldview. And they speak in the public square. And they are in everybody's house that has a TV or a cell phone or a computer. And they have a message. And it might not be this doctrinal spin on grace, but their message is very much one that opposes God. It is not a biblical worldview. It is an anti-God worldview. And this is the thing. It's, it's out there. You can call it woke. You can call it the left. You can call it liberal. You can call it... But it is a, a combined effort, a combined effort that is targeting Judeo-Christianity. It's targeting it. And there's no tolerance for anything outside of that. You understand that? It's one thing to be like silenced by fear. You know, someone doesn't want me to bring my Bible to work, I'm not going to bring my Bible to work. Not to pray and all of that. But this is, this is, this is satanic. It's demonic. And it is, it is a concerted effort. It is a real effort that is ongoing. And they have an ideology. They have a philosophy. 
as it relates to life, the origin of life, as it relates to gender, as it relates to marriage, as it relates to family, as it relates to church. They want everything that you and I find in God's word relating to all of that to no longer exist. You understand that? That's the opponent, that's, that's the opposition of our day, and it's, it comes in the many different you know, looks as far as our opponents. Why do I say that? It's true, yes. <laughs> Let's all stand. I'll finish if you're standing. I say it because I'm just as much convinced about that as Paul was about the Judaizers. Paul saw the effects. I marvel that so many of you are turning so soon from him who called you in this grace to something else. And so again, church, two and a half years ago as we came out and we were like, do not drink in the narrative of the world. And I know it's hard. I know it's like, ah, but ah, you don't understand. I just, my fingers, I got to turn that on. I got to be informed, we would say, but not engulfed. Two and a half years later, Whatever religion that is, the opposing God religion is, is gaining some ground. And I am bound to determine it is not going to make ground in my heart. It's not, the enemy is not going to gain any ground in my heart. And myself, with, with the leaders here, we are, we are, we are bound to determine it's not going to make any, any ground. It might have some inroots, but it's not going to gain any ground in this church. We're going we're gonna to stand up. And we're going to be who God has called us to be. And we're going to live out these principles in humility with tears. It's heavy, isn't it? Isn't it hard to watch your relatives and your, your, your friends and even Christian friends just go south on you? It's hard. It's hard to watch some of this stuff. It's really hard to see truth that I see right here so blatantly attacked. It's really hard for me to... To have someone say, just, just fall in line. Just be politically correct. No, I want to be biblically correct. And so it's really hard when they're like, you know, just, just come on, go along with us here. You know, we know you might have a hard time really believing that that man that says he's a woman is really not that. We know you might have a hard to just kind of come along and just, just will you use these pronouns? Will you just kind of, you follow where I'm going with this? No, I, I, I can't. I can't. I'm gonna. I, I am. I'm gonna go down. Living this out, right? We're gonna go down, living this out. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna redefine life. Thus, have their value of life, which is zero value of life. I'm gonna let God define life, which brings incredible value to life, which begins at conception, all the way to the day He takes that conceived baby home. Amen. And so that's, this is all under the gospel of grace. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. If I had another two hours, I would keep talking about this. This is the good news. This is the gospel of grace. We have it. And Paul modeled who he was and what he did in a, in a very dark place, a lot darker than America, Ephesus was. 
and God gained territory. The gospel gained ground. So don't, don't lose hope and don't get defeated. Go and just live out these principles. Be, be all about Jesus. Love God supremely. Love others. Love, love this group supremely, okay? In God, then, then you get it. And then be a servant. Be a servant. And do so with humility. And don't be surprised if you have a few cheers. And God will bless you and God will honor you. And lives will change around you to his glory. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. May we live it out. For any here, Lord, that don't know you or online that don't know you, if that's you and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you, could, you can call on the name of Jesus right now. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I believe you are God. Jesus, come into my life and save me. Fill me with your spirit. And then you go run after him and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon.